I played basketball as a kid, but I wasn't particularly good at it. In fact, I was pretty terrible. The only aspect of basketball I was any good at was fouling people, and it turns out you're not actually supposed to be good at that part of the game. Uh, the result of my lack of basketball skills was I was always the last player picked for the team. You could always see a bit of disappointment on the face of the team that was going to get saddled with me. And I didn't blame them because I felt sorry for them for being stuck with me on the team. You know, there's something humbling about being the last person picked for a team. It forces us to accept that maybe we're just not that good at something. And I always understood being the last person picked on the basketball game because if I'd been the captain, I would have picked me last. And as people, when we choose teams, we tend, we tend to choose our teams based on who we think will enable us to win. We start by picking the best players we can and we work our way down from there. And because that's how we operate, it's easy for us to think that that's how God operates as well. We tend to think that maybe God picks his teams in the way that we do. He starts by picking folks like Billy Graham, Rick Warren, Tim Tebow. And then when all the good players are gone, God picks us. And it's easy to think this because we know us and we're no Billy Graham. The result of this kind of thinking is that we tend to view ourselves as second class citizens in the kingdom of God. I mean, we understand that we're on the team, but we kind of feel that we're the backup to the backup to the backup. And as we view ourselves in this way, we're always afraid we're going to get kicked off the team. We're afraid that, that possibly our next mistake is the one where God is going to say, that's enough, I'm, I'm done with you, I didn't really want you on my team to begin with. And I'm convinced that this mindset is one of the main reasons that we're often defeated, discouraged, and disillusioned in our Christian lives. Today I want to challenge this mindset by reminding you about some powerful and important truths about how God chooses His team. It's intended to encourage and inspire us to be who God has saved us to be. Open your Bible to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. It's page 908 in your pew Bible. And when you find that, I'm going to ask you to stand on the reading of God's Word. Second Thessalonians 2 and 13. But we are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God from the beginning chose you for salvation through the sanctification, through sanctification by the spirit and belief in the truth to which he called you by our gospel for the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Title of the message this morning is, I am chosen. Let's pray. Our Father, we love you today. You are great and awesome and worthy of our praise and worthy of our devotion. Father, we come today with grateful hearts for our mothers. We thank you, Lord, for the ways they've invested in our lives and the examples that they've set. I'm very thankful for my mother, the love that she had for you, the faith that was in her that she tried to pass on to her children. Father, we thank you today for an opportunity to, to gather and to study your word and to, to sing your praise. We're thankful, God, that your word can guide us and help us to understand who we are in Christ. Lord, we live in a world that, that often wants to push us away from you. It's easy to feel as though we're second class citizens. It's easy to, to think less of ourselves than you've said that we are. 
So today, Father, I ask you to fill me with your Holy Spirit to give me clarity of thought, clarity of speech, that I can speak your words and your ways for your glory. As I speak, God, let your Holy Spirit take your word and apply it to our hearts. Let our hearts be the good ground that your word would sink deep into our lives and bring about a change. Help us, Father, to understand our identity in Christ. Help us to understand what it means that you have chosen us for your team. Help us, God, to rejoice in this and let us give it, let it give us confidence as we seek to live for you in a dark and a dying world. Be glorified in all that happens today. We ask in Jesus' precious name. Amen. But you may be seated. The Apostle Paul started the church at Thessalonica, and many of the believers that Paul was writing to were folks that he had led to the Lord himself. And this gave Paul a very personal concern for the Thessalonian believers. And he took time to write to them because they found out, because he found out that they had been infected with some false doctrine that was shaking them in their faith. This false doctrine had come into their midst and it was causing people to be afraid and really to to think they had kind of missed out on it all. And Paul was seeking to correct this. If you look at verse 1 and 2, you see what the false doctrine was. It says, Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to Him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us, as though the day of Christ... Had come. It appears that there were some teachers that had come into the midst and said basically that Jesus had already returned and they had missed out. Now, I don't know how, how you were raised, but I was raised to understand that there was an idea of a rapture, that one day Jesus was going to come back and the saints would be taken up and, and the world that had rejected Jesus would be left. Now, one of the things this did to me as a kid was it left me with a bit of fear and trepidation. Right. Heaven help me to come home one day and mom not be home when she's supposed to. Mom's not home. Our neighbors aren't there. I have been left behind. The rapture has happened and I I was wrong. I was not saved to begin with. Anybody else ever have an experience like that as a as a kid? Probably if you grew up in an evangelical church, you were taught that and you had a time where that happened. That's kind of what happened in this passage. Somebody had come and taught them that Jesus had already returned and they had missed out on the rapture. And as you can imagine, this was shaking them in their faith. They thought, gosh, I thought I was saved. We have missed out on it all and it's now too late. But Paul writes to to correct this. And he wants them to know that there are some events that had to happen before the day of the rapture would come. He says in verse 3, Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first. And the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who exalts, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or all that is worshipped. So he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. First, Paul said there would come a, a great falling away. Those who were in the church would begin to fall away from Jesus Christ. They would begin to to move away from the truth. There would be a a person called the the man of sin who would come up the Antichrist, who would rise up and he would come and take a position of power and he would be set himself up as though he were God. And then God, who is restraining the evil in the world today, would take his hand away and evil would, would move unrestrained upon the world. And he tells them some things that this 
man of lawlessness, this antichrist would do. He would bring destruction. He would exalt himself as God while defying all the other gods by tearing down all places of worship and sacred things associated with their religion. He would perform miraculous signs with satanic power. And these signs will fool those that have not believed in Jesus Christ the thinking he is God. They will then believe on him and they will follow him to their own destruction. God will use people's rebellion as a judgment against them and as condemnation on their sin. God will harden their hearts in unbelief. And the result of this rejection is they will be condemned for rejecting, rejecting the truth, believing a lie and enjoying their sin. Paul knew that the reports that the day of the Lord already passed had troubled the people and shaken them of their faith. He also knew that the terrifying description of the events that would lead up to the day of the Lord would probably scare people about what was coming. And he didn't want them to be frightened and he didn't want them to be anxious. Instead, he wanted them to be secure in Christ Jesus. He wanted them to be certain that they were born again, that they were the people of God. And that if Jesus comes back, he is coming to get them. He says in verse 15 that stand fast. And hold the traditions which you were taught, whether by word or epistle. What he is seeking to teach them in this chapter is meant to strengthen them. It is meant to encourage them, to give them a certainty of their salvation. It is meant to be something that when, when the circumstances of life are bad, that they can hold on to those. And it would be a firm foundation that would enable them to keep on keeping on, to progress in their relationship with Jesus regardless of what is going on. And, and while this passage has so many truths, I would love to, to point out today, there's only one that I'm going to focus on from verses 13 and 14. It says, But we are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God chose you. Beloved of the Lord, because God from the beginning chose you for salvation. God chose them from the beginning. That was meant to be a, a comforting and a powerful truth. And for us, this is meant to be a comforting and a powerful truth. That God chose me. God chose you. The idea that God has chosen me is something I remind myself of when I feel discouraged, disillusioned, or Defeated in my faith. And there are certain things that go along with the fact that God has chosen us. And the central truth I want us to understand today. Is that the God who chose me will not give up on me. The God who chose me. Will not give up on me. And what I want to do this morning is spend the rest of our time together driving home the idea that God chose us because he chose us he will not give up on us the Thessalonians were some of the first Gentiles to be converted to Christianity and their salvation it was not an afterthought to the Lord Paul said that God chose them from the beginning for salvation. But that was their salvation. It was always a part of God's plan for them, God's plan for the world. 
Salvation, everything about salvation was God's idea. It was God's idea for Jesus to come and die for the sins of the world. It was God's idea to give salvation by grace through faith in Jesus. It was God's idea for to send Paul to Thessalonica to preach the gospel. It was God's idea to reach out through Paul's preaching and call them to salvation. It was God's idea to save them when they repented and believed. Everything, everything that had happened in them and through them and for them was God's idea. Nothing about the great salvation they had experienced was their idea. It was all God's. And God had, since God planned for them to be saved and God had chosen them for salvation, He actively worked to bring them into a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. When the Apostle Paul went to Thessalonica and preached, verse 14 says that God called them by His gospel. And He called them so they could obtain salvation and the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. The idea of obtaining the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ is really that they would be perfected. That God would call them to salvation and God would save them. God would keep them and God would work in them and God would work through them and God would work for them to keep them until the day when Jesus Christ returned. So that when Jesus comes back for His church, they would be a part of it. That was always God's plan. He chose them, He saved them, and He was not going to give up on them. He was always going to keep them until the end. And what was true of them is true for us. God actively chose us. Paul writes in Ephesians, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. Even before He made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy without fault in His eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into His own family by bringing us to Himself through Jesus Christ. This is what He wanted to do, and it gave Him great pleasure. Friends, this passage is something you should write down in your Bible and highlight and underline and know. God chose us from the beginning for salvation. Even before God made the world, God knew that we would exist. God knew who we would be, how we would be. And God planned always to save us. God always planned to draw us to Himself, to work in us and make us holy and without fault. He chose to adopt us as His own children. He chose to do this all because of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. And it was what He wanted to do. Now, I love that. It was what He wanted to do. Do you know that God did not have to save any of us? God is under no obligation to do anything for sinful humanity. Anything that God has done for us, He did because He wanted to. And in doing so, it brought Him great pleasure. Again, that's a a thought I want you to understand. It was always God's plan to save us. It was always God's plan to adopt us and to give us a hope and a future. It was always God's plan to bring us into His family. And this gave Him great pleasure. 
You know, it never, the team that got saddled with me in basketball, it never brought them great pleasure when I was on their team. It was sort of a, we can't not let him play. The coach won't let us. Right? That's the way it was. Okay, you take the invisible player, we'll take Ross, I guess. You know, I mean, it was just that kind of a thing. But that's not how God was when he chose us. That's not how God was when he saw us and he picked us and he decided he would save us. The idea of our salvation, the idea of our adoption, the idea of our sanctification and relationship with him, it brought God great pleasure. Just the thought of what we could be in him, through him, and for him. Listen, friends, that is a... We, we are not an afterthought to God. We are not the ones God had to pick for His team. We are on God's team because He wanted us for His team. And the idea of us being on His team brought Him great pleasure. And as with the Thessalonians, God wanted us on His team and so He actively sought us out. You know, there was a time where we didn't care about God. There was a time in all of our lives where we didn't care about the will and the want and the ways of God. And and probably if you were like me, I was raised in church, so I heard gospel messages my whole life. And for most of my life, I didn't care. For most of my life, as the preacher preached, I I thought about Captain America and Spider-Man. I I played tic-tac-toe with my friend. When the preacher would talk about sin and righteousness in Jesus, I didn't care. I didn't, I didn't particularly want it. I wasn't angry against it. I, I didn't, wasn't too fond of the idea of hell, but, but of surrendering my life to Jesus, that was, that was not on my agenda. And that's how you were as well. There was a time where we didn't care. But then there came a moment, there came a day where we did care. There came a moment in our lives where suddenly when the preacher talked about sin, we understood that we had sinned. When the preacher talked about salvation, we understood that we needed to be saved. And what we've got to realize is that was not our idea. It wasn't that suddenly we got smart and suddenly we figured it all out. Instead, the Bible says that it was God drawing us. Jesus said, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up in the last day. Again, notice the idea that the God who chooses us will not give up on us. When the Holy Spirit calls us, he's calling us to come to Jesus. Anytime we have a desire for Jesus, that is always God Seeking us first. That is always God reaching out to us. You and I, we never initiated contact with God. We didn't come up with the plan of salvation. We didn't figure out on our own that we needed salvation. We were as happy as pigs in mud living in our sin. Until one day the Spirit of God began to deal with us. And all of that as we began to think, maybe this is for me. Maybe I need Jesus. Maybe my sin is serious. Maybe I am separated from God. All of that was God reaching out to us, choosing us for His team. 
calling us, calling us to come to him. And the Bible was filled with invitations from the Lord. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever, whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. I'm a big fan of the the whosoever's. Right. The whosoever's. I'm a whosoever. You're a whosoever. The, 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 The plan of salvation. It is for all people and all people are invited to come to Jesus. Jesus said, come to me. All you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. What a great invitation that is. Have you ever labored and been heavy laden? Been weighed down by your sin and your grief and your sorrow and the world and just needed rest? And thought, Jesus can give me that rest. It's the Holy Spirit. That's the open invitation. And God gives this open invitation because He wants all people to be saved. But the Lord is not slack concerning His promises, as some count slackness, but as long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. See, it is God's great desire for each and every one of us to be saved. There is not a person we'll encounter on the planet that Jesus did not die for. There is not a person we'll encounter tomorrow or today that is not included and is not someone that God wants to have on His team. And as great as it is that God wants all of us on His team and that He invites whosoever will, there's an even greater truth. There's an even better truth. And that is that God calls us by name. He says, but now, thus says the Lord who created you, O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name, and you are mine. Now, I love that passage. God calls us by name. When I was at Fort Campbell, I went to a a school called the Air Assault School. And in the Air Assault School, you learn how to repel out of helicopters, how to hook up sling loads. Like if you've ever seen a helicopter fly with something hanging beneath it, we learned how to do that. We learned how to use hand and arm signals to guide the helicopters to land in landing zones. And it was a good school. But one of the things that they do at Air Assault School is zero day takes place at four o'clock in the morning. And you have to be there before four o'clock in the morning. And you pile into this room and they holler out your name. And when they holler out your name, you, ho- you sound off, Here, air assault sergeant! And then you run to the front of the room and you grab your roster number and you run out to the formation area. And when you run outside, it's all gravel so they can hear your feet when you hit. And every time your left foot hits the ground, you have to sound off with a loud and thunderous, Air assault! And so you run, Air assault! Air assault! All the way, everything you do, you go like that. And when they call your name and you hit that dark door, you go outside You hear what's going on to the dudes that have gone before you. Hey, you, get down! What do you think you're doing? And they're just yelling and sounds like bulldogs chewing on a bone out there. So my name gets called. And none of the other guys, they were going out with the right foot first and they weren't saying air assault, so I timed it. And when I stepped out the door, it was with my left foot and I sounded off with a loud and thunderous air assault and I took off and I heard, Hey, you, get down! Now, I've never been the smartest guy in the world, but I know my name. And it ain't Hey You. So I kept running. And the guy figured out I was ignoring him, and he took off after me. So I'm running. Air salt, air salt, air salt. And I can see a formation of about a hundred guys that have gone before me. And I'm thinking, if I, can, if I can dive into that gaggle of people, 
They'll never know it was me and I'll escape. But unfortunately, the air assault instructor was faster than I was and he grabbed me by the shoulder. And he told me, are you ignoring me? And I, I said, now, now, this may not have been the truth, so don't hold it against me. I hadn't always been a preacher. I said, oh, no, air assault sergeant, I didn't know you were talking to me. You know, all of that confusion could have been cleared up had he just hollered out Ross. If he had just called me by my name, I would have answered. You know, the great truth of the gospel is that when God calls us to salvation, he doesn't holler, hey, you, and hope we hear it and think that might call to us. He calls us by name. One night at a revival at Fort Gibson Free Will Baptist Church, the conviction of the Lord overwhelmed me and I could not hold it off any longer. And in that time, that wasn't God saying, hey, you, and hoping I would respond. That was God coming to me as an individual, dealing with me as a person, calling me to salvation, me to experience all that he had for me. And when God called you to salvation, he didn't call, hey, you and hoped you would respond. He chose you as an individual. He came to you personally and he chose to deal in your heart in specific ways about issues in your life, showing you that you needed Jesus and that Jesus was for you. Think about that. How great is that? God chose you. And when God chose you, he called you by your name so that you could see your need. You could turn from your sin and you could believe in Jesus and be saved. When Jesus went and called the twelve disciples, he went to them individually and he said, come and follow me. It's true of them. It's true of me. It's true of you. You were saved because God specifically chose you. And then God specifically called you. God took the initiative and he made first contact with you. He chose to open your heart so that you could understand the gospel. He chose to convict you of your sin, your lack of righteousness and the judgment to come. He chose to draw you to Jesus. He chose to grant you repentance unto life. And when you responded by turning to Jesus and calling upon him, God chose to save you, to adopt you, to make you a new creation. And all of this brought God great pleasure. And I think I can say that there's even more that makes it better. See, God called us knowing everything about us. So the Lord, you have searched me and known me. You have known my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thoughts afar off. You comprehend my path, my lying down, and are acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word on my tongue, but behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You see, when God called you and when God called me, He already knew everything there was to know about us. He knew the sins we had already committed. And he knew the sins we would commit even after we were saved. He knew the struggles that we would face and win. And he knew the struggles we would face and lose. He knew every hateful word we would ever say. Every act of failure we would ever commit. There was not anything 
about our lives, past, present, or future, that God did not already know when He chose us and when He called us. And it still gave us great pleasure. A few years ago, I I saw some Bible software. And I thought, this is like the greatest Bible software ever. I, I mean, once I have this, I'll be the smartest preacher the world has ever known. And so I paid like $160 for this Bible software and I ordered it and I waited patiently. I was kind of like Calvin on Calvin and Hobbes. I checked the mail twice a day just to see if it arrived. And it came and it arrived and I installed it. And oh my word, it was the lamest Bible software I had ever seen in my life. It was horrible. The commentaries, I'm not even sure most of them were in English. It it had, I mean, it was just... It couldn't do anything that I thought it could do. I had such a great amount of buyer's remorse. I thought it would be wonderful. But it turned out to be useless. Have you ever had buyer's remorse with something? You thought it would be great. And then it turned out not to be as great as you imagined. God never has buyer's remorse over us. God is never sorry that He chose us. God is never sorry... That he called us and God is never sorry that he saved us. For we do not ever disappoint God. Now that sounds wrong. He's saying, wait a second. I know I fell, so I must disappoint God. But let me ask. Isn't disappointment because of expectations? I mean, if someone had given me that software and said it's useless and terrible, I wouldn't have been disappointed. But I expected it to be great and it turned out to be junk and so I was disappointed. In that sense, we never disappoint God. God never thinks we're going to do something we're not going to do. God never is surprised by an action we take, a failure we have, a struggle we give into. He knows everything about us and He always has. And despite that knowledge, everything, the worst parts of our lives that we do not share with anyone, God knew perfectly well. And yet He chose us. And then He called us. And then He saved us. God, in absolute knowledge about us, chose us, called us, and saved us. And in light of all of that, He is not going to give up on us. The God who knew all of that and went to all the effort to choose us, to call us, and to save us, is not at any point or any time going to give up on us. Being confident of this very thing, that He who begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. The day that God called us and saved us, He began a very good work in us to make us like Jesus. And He is not going to give up on that. Now, that doesn't mean that we're always going to walk the path that we should. But when we walk the path that we shouldn't, God reaches out to us. He goes and He tries to bring us back to Himself. He comes to us as individuals. He deals with us personally. And He tries to help us get back on the right track. He will not give up. He is not going to stop. We are always on His team and He always wants it that way. That is a... That is a powerful truth to get a hold of. Just, do you really believe in your heart 
that God chose you from the beginning. He didn't choose you last. He chose you first. That you, regardless of where you've been or what you've done or what you will do, were always a part of God's plan. You were always one of the people that God intended to be on His team. And to secure you on His team, He sought you out. For me, I wasn't saved the first time the Holy Spirit convicted me of my sin. The very first time I understood that Jesus died for me and that I needed to be saved, I ignored it. And I ignored it for a very long time. Maybe a year or more. And all that time, God kept seeking me. God kept searching for me. God kept drawing me. God kept calling to me to turn to Him. And a God who, who wooed me and convicted me and drew me for a year isn't going to give up on me today because I have a bad attitude. Or I say something I shouldn't have said or I do something I shouldn't have done. Listen, friend, when you're certain of the fact that God chose you, chose you, not just people, you as an individual, and that God called you as an individual, there is a holy confidence that this gives you regardless of anything that may come up in your life. Turn with me to Romans chapter 8. And we're going to quickly look at a, just a, a really good, good passage of Scripture. Page 863. Look at verse 28 of Romans 8. And we know that. That all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the, the, the called according to his purpose. For whom he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, he also called, whom he called, he also justified, whom he justified, these he will also glorify. Again, the idea that, that God has always planned for us to be on His team. That, that God has predetermined, pre-planned things for us. And our salvation and our conformity to the image of Christ is a part of what God always planned for us to happen in our lives. He, he had always planned for us. And Paul, reflecting on the idea... That even as a blasphemer and as a persecutor and as a, a legalistic Pharisee, God chose him. God planned for him. God saved him. It leads him to great praise as he says, what shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? I mean, if, if God is this much on, on my side, whew, what difference does it make what anyone else has to say? Because no one can undo what God has done. Right? He goes on to talk about the, the great promises of God. Who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? See, God in eternity past, he promised to save us. He promised to send Jesus to come and die for our sins. And if he would keep that promise, which was the biggest and then He chose us and He called us and He saved us. Won't He then keep all the promises that are less? 
Right? I mean, if, if, if God will send Jesus to die for me, knowing everything there is to know about me, won't He then do everything else He's promised for me? Can't I have absolute confidence in everything God has said? Who shall bring a charge to God's elect? Not God, because it's God who justifies. Who condemns those that God has chosen? Not Christ, for He's the one that died and furthermore is risen. It's even at the right hand of God making intercession for us. So, God isn't going to kick us off the team. And Jesus isn't going to kick us off the team. We're, we're on the team. We're a part of the plan. What was going to separate us then from the love of Christ? Right? What, what kicks us off the team? Tribulation? Distress? Persecution? Famine? Nakedness? Peril? Sword? I mean, we'd say those are all bad things. But, as it is written... For your sake we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us and chose us and called us and saved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. How secure are we as those that God has chosen, as those that God has called, as those that God has saved? Oh, my friends, we are very secure in the hand of our great God and wonderful Savior. There is a, a confidence that we can have if we think God picks His team the way that we would pick our team. We will never, never understand who we are in Christ. But if we understand that God has, God has intentionally chosen you and that God has intentionally chosen me, and He chose us knowing everything there was to know about us. Things we don't yet know we're going to do, God knew. And He still chose us. And He still called us. And He still saved us. And He is still at work. Going to complete this work until the day of Christ Jesus. Don't ever think you're a second class citizen in the kingdom of God. Don't ever think you're an afterthought to God's plans for what's going to happen on the earth. Don't ever think that it wasn't God who intentionally chose you. And God who intentionally called you. And God who intentionally saved you. And when we understand that we are, we are chosen by Almighty God. And circumstances may come and circumstances may go. But we get that we are more than conquerors through Christ. We get that this doesn't separate us from His love. We get that even in our failures, God isn't kicking us to the curb. He's still working. He still has a plan. He's still drawing us to Himself. As believers, we should never be Discouraged, defeated, or distraught. Because the Almighty God of heaven 
He chose us. The great and the awesome God of the Bible, He called us by name. The God of grace saved us through Jesus. Rejoice in who you are in Christ. Trust that the God who called you will never give up on you. Let's stand as our musicians come.